My name is Tim Bedall, and I've got the great privilege of serving as lead pastor here. I'm asking you to turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. We've been in a series that we've entitled Jesus, the Greatest of All Time, and we've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we find ourselves in this very famous passage of Scripture, a passage of Scripture that we could spend weeks on. Well, truth be told, we have spent weeks on this chapter of Scripture. About three years ago, uh, our teaching team went through and went through each of the biographies that are listed uh, today, and so what my desire is is to uh, go through this text as was intended by the author to be one real big illustration of what real faith looks like in a messy world. Now, we live in a world where there's a lot of imposters. There's a lot of fakeness out there. If you've ever traveled abroad, you no doubt know that uh, you can be a victim of, of salesmanship of selling imposter items, fake items, whether it's purses or jewelry, uh, whether it's a watch or a necklace. It's easy at times to be fooled into thinking you're buying the real deal only to find out that gold or that Rolex, if you've got a Rolex here, is fake. Spending pennies on the dollar of what the real thing. You're not getting a good deal. You're getting a bad knockoff of the real thing. We live in a world where there's a lot of fakeness going on. We spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars putting on fake things into our bodies, replacing things that we don't like about ourselves and, and not living with the natural, but adding elements in some ways to fake people out about how we really look or, or how we really are. This fakeness is seen in the way we engage in social media. Uh, we impress people with our fake lives so that we can impress fake friends into thinking we're doing or, or experiencing a way better life than we probably really are. But this fakeness, this impostering, has been seen in the most insidious of ways. Can you believe now that you can eat fake meat? Say it ain't so, friends. My goodness. We're eating meat made from plants. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I cook pork chops and chicken in my other job. I will assure you it will always be the real deal. Yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah. But you know where the worst part of imposturing happens? It happens with regards to faith. People saying, people pronouncing that they have faith in God. Faith in the promises of our Lord Jesus Christ. But when the rubber meets the road, it's just words. It's just a profession. And, and the problem is, is like those imposters, those knockoffs, they're close enough to the real thing that you think you've got it. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 speaks of some imposters, some fake professions of faith. And what he says is the real deal is to persevere, to endure. Well, how do you endure? How do you persevere when trials and tribulations and troubles come your way? The answer is, Faith. Faith in what? Faith in God and what he promises. Last week, we dealt with the first four verses of Hebrews 11, and we talked about the definition of faith. And our working definition went like this. Faith is the assurance or confidence in the truth of God's biblical assertions. The Bible you hold in your hands has a lot of promises from God to you and I. 
Faith says, I'm going to believe it because God has said it. And not only am I going to believe it in a way that I'll think it to be true, or know it to be true, or or say that it's true, uh, faith is going to take those truths, and because we believe, and because we have such confidence, I'm going to act upon it. In a world of imposters, the writer of Hebrews tells the people what real faith looks like. He defines it in the first four verses, and for the rest of the chapter, he demonstrates what real faith looks like. And from it, what I want to do, again, is not focus so much on the storyline, but more the strategy of what a real faith looks like. Not so much focused in on the people, per se, but the principles of what real faith looks like. Because what the writer says in Hebrews chapter 10 is that life is going to be hard. It's going to be filled with all kinds of issues and struggles. It's going to cause people to not like us and to do harm against us. And what we need to endure, to persevere, is to live out each and every day faith. Now, anytime you're reading a book or reading a newspaper and someone says something nice about someone, it's easy, and we do this, of course, on social media as well, to begin to think that everything's great with them. So we come to Hebrews 11. God highlights these individuals. Many people call this, as the video did, the hall of faith. And what we begin to think is they are so much greater, so more, so much more awesome than we are, that we begin to put them, put us out of their league. We begin to think that the kind of faith that they exemplify is way beyond anything we would ever be able to ask for or imagine. And we distance ourselves from the scriptures. That is exactly the opposite of what the writer is trying to do. What he wants to do is show you that regular, ordinary, broken down individuals can do great things through God if we would just take him at his promises and walk in faith. So this morning, my aim and my encouragement to you is that you, just like these men and women of Hebrews chapter 11, have been called to step out in faith. And when we do, God is going to do way more than we could ever ask for or imagine. But with that comes some caveats along the way. So let's dig into this. And let's look at three things this morning. Now, what I want to do is I want to read a couple portions of this scripture and then jump into our text. Let's look at verse 13. Verse 13, he starts with this catalog of these Old Testament saints, and he says the following, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that home from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Two truths I want you to know from this. Number one, when you live out a life of faith, God is not ashamed. He is well pleased to call you his, their, your God. It, it's kind of like saying, when my boys do something that is 
really impressive or, or really great. My, my great goal as a father is to be able to say, that's a chip off the old block. That's what God's saying here. And number two, that we need to recognize when we live lives of faith, we are not living, this is so important, we are not living in light of the present. Listen to me. When you live by faith, you are not living in light of the present, but you're living in light of God's promises. We'll talk about how that impacts us. Now let's move on. Go to verse 39 for a moment. And all these, this catalog of individuals, though commended through faith, did not receive what was promised since God has provided something better for us. That's us he's talking about. After the cross, after the resurrection, after the person and work of Jesus Christ has accomplished all that he was going to do, after all that, we now are receiving something better. So how much more should we be people of faith now knowing what these men and women did not know, what they saw from afar? So Hebrews 11 is a challenge to us as New Testament believers to live each and every moment with faith. How do we do that? Let's look at three things this morning. Number one, we need to remember the faithful who show the way. Hebrews chapter 11 quickly and succinctly shows us a group of people. And this group of people were people like you and I. Now, how were they like us? Well, first, we need to recognize a couple things. Number one, we see Hebrews 11 speaks about all types of people. We have men and women in Hebrews 11. We have young and old. We have rich people and poor people. We have princes and we have prostitutes. We have uh, people that were victorious, and we had people that saw de- a defeat upon defeat. All of this is a reminder that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you have in this world. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God is calling you to live out a real faith. Number two, notice this involved all types of people with all kinds of problems. It's easy for us to sterilize, if you will, or sanitize the people of Hebrews 11. Growing up, I was a part of, as many of you may have been, the flannel graph days, where we would get these Old Testament saints put on the flannel graph board, and they always looked happy, and life was good, and they were cleaned up, and all of that, and we would only hear about the good things they did, and there were a lot of good things. But we need to recognize within the good things they did These people had problems. These people were more like us than maybe even we want to give them credit for. Uh, We see this in each of the different people. Notice Abel. Abel came from a family that was far from perfect. He had an issue with his brother. I should maybe rephrase it. His brother had an issue with him. Now you say, how do you know that? Well, listen, Cain doesn't just all of a sudden come up with a desire to kill his brother as the scriptures record. There had to have been a backstory there. There had to have been sibling rivalry that, that produced the, the fit of rage and anger that Cain would have when God approves of Abel's sacrifice instead of his. How about Noah? Noah's life was filled with problems. Think about it. You invest 120 years of your life 
building something that your neighbors, your friends, even some of your family think is absolutely nonsense. And so every time you go out and, and talk about life, you go, hey, Noah, what have you been up to? Well, I'm still building that boat. Well, you know, Noah, it's never rained. I know. But I talked to a God who was invisible, and he said, it's going to rain. It's going to flood the earth. Well, you know, we've never seen a flood in these parts. I know. You know you're a little crazy listening to voices. I know. Poor Noah couldn't go to a single party without his issue or problem of being crazy coming up. There's more. How about uh, Abraham? Abraham never built a house for himself, always living in tents. And, and the issue that he had, the problem he had, was a medical one. His wife was barren. They could not have children. And in a world, in a society where having kids was, was the a benchmark of, of health and prosperity, this man who was promised great things by God, him and his wife were barren. Talk about problems. How about Joseph? Joseph was a part of a very dysfunctional family, a family where his father loved him more than any of the other kids. He lived in a family where all of his brothers hated him, hated him so much that they wanted to kill him. And when they chose to kill him, a better idea came up and they sold him into slavery. He would spend years as a slave then be tried for a crime he didn't commit, be thrown in prison for 13 years before his life would start to have some positive things take place. Joseph lived a rough life filled with problems. How about Moses? Moses was an adopted son. An adopted son from a different ethnic background and all of the struggles that can come along that way. He went from being a slave to a prince. And right when things were going well for Moses, Moses encounters a situation where he tries to address justice in his own hands and he is exercised. He is uh, seen as a fugitive and he runs and hides for 40 years. Moses had problems. You see, the walk of faith isn't exempt from problems. Maybe this morning you find yourself trying to faithfully walk in obedience to God and his word, and you've got it in your mind, it must not be doing it right because problem upon problem come. Well, welcome to Hebrews chapter 11. Real faith has its share of problems. But let's go a step further. It has all manner of pitfalls. When we speak of the hall of faith, it's easy to make these people extraordinary. That is extraordinary super Christians with abilities and faith that we could never imagine that we would have. Now, in some ways, some of what these people experienced were not just problems outside of themselves, but they were problems of their own making. That is their sins, their lusts, their uh, sinful use of their words got the best of them. Noah, after saving the world and allowing the world to continue on and humanity to continue to live on the earth, the first thing Noah does on dry land, after taking huge steps of faith, 
After 120 years of building the ark, the first thing you would have thought he would have gotten on dry ground and he would have prayed and sang and given praise to God. You know what he does? He gets drunk and gets naked and does unspeakable things. That is a man of faith. Wait a minute. What a pitfall. How about Abraham? God promises Abraham a land. He promises him offspring. And what does Abraham do? At every turn, Abraham takes his life into his own hands. Not willing to believe God and step day by day in faith, Abraham for a long time messes things up. And he does it in huge ways. In Egypt, not wanting to be killed, he tells the Egyptians that his wife is his sister so that the Egyptians can do whatever they want to her and he's not going to do anything about it. That is a huge blunder. Even within that, Sarah, who is articulated as a great woman of faith, when knowing that she was barren, hands to her husband another woman so that they might conceive a child. Talk about a big mess up. We go on and on. Notice we, we have uh, Moses. Moses, this great leader, point after point, he loses his cool. He loses his temper and he gets angry. The children of Israel, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us they rebelled and went against God over and over again. How about Gideon, who's mentioned later in the text? He's a scaredy cat, afraid of his own shadow. Samson is a fool who can't harness his lust. Jephthah, he's probably the moron of the text because what he does is makes this horrific vow. This is, this is how dumb this guy was, all right? He makes a vow that the next person who walks through the door, he's going to sacrifice, thinking, not the next person, by the way, the next thing that walks through the door, thinking it's going to be some animal. By happenstance, Jephthah's daughter walks through, and he goes through and offering his daughter as a sacrifice. Are you kidding me? These people had issues. Everybody say amen. And the reason why I want you to say amen is because I want you to be reminded these men and women were far from perfect. They had massive issues where their sin got the best of them. So a group of people, if you're like your preacher, your sin has gotten the best of you. And it's beating you up. And the devil is telling you, because of your sin, you have disqualified yourself from the faith. And Hebrews 11 stands there as a clarion call to say, it's not too late. Just like these men and women, you and I have dysfunctions. We have issues. We have struggles. We have sins. But real faith, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, is able to transcend those things and do great things for God. So all types of people, with all kinds of problems, and all manner of pitfalls, and yet what we have is a group of people who did extraordinary things for God. So what that means is that there is one hero in the chapter. There's one hero in the book There's one hero of the Bible, and it ain't Moses or Abraham or Sarah or Rahab or any of those listed. It's not Pastor Tim or the elders who were standing up here with the Stoneberg family. The only hero in our midst is Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we look to him. 
just as they looked to him, believing what God said about him, so that we might, as a result, experience the promises of God that he has for us in the future. Now, to do so, we've got to understand a little more what this faith is all about. So we need to recognize some important truths about faith. Write that down. We need to recognize some important truths that are often forgotten. Again, we look to this as the hall of faith, and and we begin to say, okay, it must have been really awesome to be a part of these things. But I want you to know as you go through Hebrews 11, some important principles or truths rise up that help us as we live out our life of faith. First of all, we need to recognize that faith impacts the mundane and the majestic moments of life. Yes, it is true that Hebrews 11 is full of majestic or magnificent, you put in your adjective, some pretty awesome moments. Some moments that no doubt wouldn't happen in a hundred, a thousand, 10,000, a million lifetimes. That's what makes them so significant. Well, let's just face it. For many of us, we will never spend our life building an ark so that we will live through a worldwide flood. Many of us are not going to be 90 or 100 years of age and watch our wife become pregnant with our firstborn son. Many of us are not going to experience uh, what it means to walk around a city and have the walls come tumbling down. Many of us, if not all of us, will probably never be face-to-face with a giant and with one smooth stone bring the giant down as a wee little teenager. And the stories go on and on. These are once-in-a-lifetime, a a million-lifetime stories or events that happen. And what we begin to do with Hebrews 11 is we say these are all these magnificent and majestic moments But Hebrews 11 is more honest and true than that, because what Hebrews 11 says is that faith is lived out in the mundane as well. Let's look at them. Notice we've got Abel. All we're told about Abel is that he gave an offering to God. Can I tell you that when you give part of your income to the ministry of God, that's an offering? There are many right now who are serving in the other building uh, using their gifts and abilities. That's an offering to God. Those who served on the worship team and our AV team, they are using their gifts and abilities as an offering to God. Those who serve throughout the week, they're doing what Abel did. There's nothing really significant about that. And they didn't do it with false pretenses or motives. And their gift was wholly acceptable to God. That's what Abel did. And he was commended for his faith. How about Enoch? Nowhere with regards to Enoch, do we see anything about lives being converted? about him preaching great messages, about him healing people. In fact, by the way, there's nothing to do with any healings whatsoever in the text. And Enoch just, it says he lived a faithful life. It doesn't get into any details of what that is. He just quietly and consistently lived a life of faith. 
How about Joseph and Jacob? Jacob, it says, at the end of his life, blessed his sons. What parent, what grandparent hasn't put their hands upon their children or grandchildren? I mean, let's just be honest. Brandon and Tori just did that with their son. And what it says about Jacob was that was what he was commended for, blessing his sons and grandsons to create a legacy of faith. How about when it comes to Joseph? Joseph did a lot of amazing things. He endured hardships and, and struggles, and, and you know the story. One of my favorite sermon series we ever did was the story of Joseph. I loved that series. And it's so amazing to see all that Joseph did, his faithfulness. But you know what he's commended for in Hebrews 11? By saying that when he died in Egypt, that his posterity, his children and grandchildren were to take his bones and bury him when they make it to the promised land because God said Egypt wasn't home, but Canaan was. We had this week a funeral at the Plano campus, a man who had spent most of his later life in, in uh, Florida, passed away in Florida, and his body was brought because it was his desire to be buried where he lived in Illinois. And so they went and did that. It doesn't seem very faithful, right? That just seems like a, a formality. When, when you go back home, take my body and bury my bones there. And yet that's what he's commended for. What I want you to see here is that faith isn't always done in the majestic. Faith isn't always done in the marvelous. Sometimes faith, the faith that God commends, is in things that nobody else sees. And so, mom who's at home with lots of kids and and wanting to pull your hair out, and yet loving them and caring for them, and nobody sees it, and the kids don't acknowledge it, I want you to know God's commending that as you teach the faith one to another. Maybe it's you just faithfully, like this week, are just going to go back to work, and you deal fairly with your employer or fellow employees or customers. God commends you for that faithfulness. Student, you go to school, and you treat others with respect, and you work hard in your study. God is saying, I, I want to commend that. Sometimes faith isn't seen in the spotlights, but in the quiet moments of daily life. God will commend a great more than we would ever imagine on the day of judgment for the quiet acts of faithfulness instead of the preachers who are in the spotlights. So keep walking in faith. Principle number two we see. Faith is suitable in all situations. We've got all of these people with all of these problems and all of these pitfalls. They span a couple thousand years. And what we have is in all situations of life, the one thing that seemingly is consistent or constant is faith in God. And what that tells us is that we can rely by putting our faith and trust in God that it's going to work today. 
It worked for Noah and it worked for Abraham and it worked for David and Moses. It worked for the disciples. It worked for the author of the book of Hebrews. It worked for this audience of the book of Hebrews. They put their faith and trust in the promises of God and God didn't let them down. And even now, they as a great cloud of witnesses are looking over from heaven and watching us run our race with perseverance and cheering us on So that means in our here and now, in the situations of our lives, we need to be applying faith to everything. Now, here's one of the issues that we have. We talk about faith on Sunday. We put on faith for our small groups. We we put on faith for the baptisms and the child dedication days. We, We put on faith like it's a hat that we put on and take off. But the author wants us to know with all of these different people that faith is something we live out in all fabrics and facets of our lives. It's not something we put on and take off when we take off our church clothes. It's something that we take into the schools. It's something we take into the workplaces, into our communities, with friends and strangers alike. It's suitable for all situations. Number three, it gives no guarantees for a good ending. Now, let's be honest, some of the faith that we see has positive outcomes. The children of Israel, they pass through the sea on dry land. The second they step into the dry, into the Red Sea, it parts. Faith produces a good result. How about the walls of Jericho? Seven days of walking around the city, and on the seventh day, they walk around it seven times. They yell. They blow trumpets with faith. They don't take up arms, and what happens? The city is conquered, a positive outcome. How about later in the text, where it talks about widows who receive their dead back from the dead Because of resurrection, this is an allusion to uh, Elijah who is living in the home of a widow who has a young son who dies because of the famine. And Elijah, by faith, prays over the child and the child is raised from death to life. Positive outcome. And so what there are preachers today who would say, if you have faith, you'll be healthy and wealthy. Good things are going to happen. But that's not what Hebrews 11 tells us. Hebrews 11 says sometimes bad things happen to faithful people. Notice at the beginning of the text, Abel pleases God with his sacrifice. And what does he get? He gets killed for it. That's not positive. How about Abraham? He's promised and he walks by faith and he has to wait a whole lifetime for a promise son. How about that faith involves being tortured, mocked, beaten, destitute, stoned, put in prison, being mistreated. We've got to get out of our head that if we step out in obedience, in faith, that God promises good in the here and now. Remember, God doesn't speak about our faithfulness in the present except for one truth. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so bad things are going to happen. Good things are going to happen. Ugly things are going to happen in the here and now. And what God says is my promise in the here and now is I am with you. But in the future, 
No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for his people. There's a promise in a heavenly city. Heaven is being promised to us, and it is so good, it is so great, it is so awesome that if we have to endure 80 years of hell, it will still be worth it. And so what the author is saying is if you have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear evil, for I am with you. And so don't get focused on here, but turn your gaze to the heavenly city that Jesus went to prepare for us. And when he is finished preparing it for us, he will come back to take us to be with him forever. So we can endure. We can persevere even the most difficult of circumstances. That causes one final thing. It causes us to be encouraged as we endure as exiles. The crux of this passage is found in verses 13 through 16. This is the one indispensable truth we cannot forget. And the truth is this. A life of faith recognizes that this is not our home. Now you say, yeah, I got it. This is not our home. Listen to me. That is such an important truth. It will revolutionize. If we grab a hold of this by faith, it will revolutionize how we live our life. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said the following. He said, don't store for yourself up treasures here on earth where moth and rust will destroy. If we truly grab a hold of the life of faith, we will spend our lives and the time of our lives differently. We'll spend our resources differently. We will look at relationships differently. We will look at our time with God's people differently. Why? Because it isn't about here and now. It is about what is to come. And so a life of faith always recognizes, I am heading somewhere. This is not the destination. This is not where I find my identity. This is not where I find my ultimate pleasure and possession. There is a place, a better place, a better possession for me that God has promised in due time I will experience. So I'm going to live every moment of this life with eternity in mind. That will change the way we spend. That will change the way we go about living and our dreams and our possessions. It will change everything when we begin to live lives as exiles. This is not our home. So church, let's not make it our home. So what do we do? We need to respond. How do we respond? We respond by following their example. What's their example? They ran the race marked out for them. And they did so at times in broken and dysfunctional ways. But the God who promised them was faithful to see him to the finish line. And God who began a good work in you and me will be faithful to see it to completion. So what do we do in the here and now? What do we do as we wait for the promises of God? Three things very quickly, and I'll land this plane. Number one, we need to live in obedience. It begins by living in obedience. Now, here's the amazing thing. We don't see the word obey in the text, but faith 
involves two things that we used to sing in, in Sunday school as a kid. Trusting and obeying. If you want a shorter definition of faith, it is trusting and obeying God. So we used to sing, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Almost 20 different times in our text, you will see two words, by faith. But I want you, when you see by faith, I want you to understand what the biblical definition means is by trusting and obeying so-and-so did the following. By trusting and obeying Rahab, by trusting and obeying David, by trusting and obeying Gideon. And they did these things. Why or how? By trusting and obeying. And so what is that call for you and I? That when God calls us to something, we will trust that what he's saying is true and we will obey it. So, looking back at this last week, how did you do at trusting God and obeying him? Take a moment, do a mental note. Don't do the other person's next to you their math, okay, of last week. That's being a Pharisee. Think about in this last week, Could it be said of me that I trusted and obeyed God? If you can't say that, I'm going to say in the most loving of ways, you are not living by faith. You're not living by faith. Now, here's the great thing. The one who promised is faithful. And so maybe this week you didn't live by faith. Maybe you didn't trust God as you should have. Maybe you didn't obey God and his precepts as you should have. This is an opportunity in the quietness of your heart to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of that. That's not my desire. That's not what I want. I want to trust you. I want to obey you. And what Jesus tells us is he's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us of our lack of trust and our lack of obedience. And what that enables us to do, when we do that, it enables us not to live in the past, but now to live in the future and look for opportunities. That's the next thing. So now we look for opportunities in the week to come. So knowing we didn't do it, knowing we missed the mark last week, now we look to the week ahead of us. We've got a whole week of work, amen? (laughs) A whole week of school. We've got a whole week with our neighbors and our family. Maybe it's time to start the Eastman Tea Time. Some of us are feeling really bad as parents right now. Okay? Sundays in the Badal House is Netflix Sunday. <laughs> Noah, Josh, and Luke, we're sitting around a table and talking about our problems. We're going to do what the Eastmans do because it was a good result. Amen? Okay? They looked for opportunities. We need to look for opportunities. We need to pray for opportunities. Lord, give me opportunities that I gotta stretch for my faith. I gotta stretch it out. I've gotta strengthen the muscles of my faith. And when they come, God, not like last week, but this week, I'm gonna trust you and obey you. 
And here's the thing, we'll be back next Sunday and we'll have failed in some other ways and God will uh, forgive us and cleanse us and we're gonna keep doing this and that's what this walk of faith is about. It isn't perfect, it isn't clean, it's messed up, it's got all kinds of curves and detours along the way, but never forget God is the one who is faithful. And that's why, my friends, we need to lean on the one who overcomes. Now I'm fast-forwarding a little bit but all of this is to point to Jesus. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, he says that we look to Jesus. And that looking isn't just to look to him afar, but to put all of our weight, all of who we are, into Jesus, onto Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who started our faith, and he's the one who's going to finish our faith. So we lean into him. So maybe this morning, you've come into this place for all manner of reasons. What I want you to know is the God of the universe is inviting you not to live your life on your own, but to live your life in the arms of Jesus Christ. Will you trust and will you obey him? Not only for your salvation, but for every day of your life, so that you might receive the good promises that God has, maybe not in this world, but in the world to come. Because when we do that, all a bit imperfectly, dysfunctionally, God will get us to the next step, and the next step, and the next step, that one day when you stand before God, he might be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? So that's what real faith is all about. And let us leave this place with the intention and the focus and the prayer that God would equip us with this real faith so that we may honor God in the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. And that we might show a world what faith is all about. Let's pray.